A reading from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, 11 through 21. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil inside of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of God rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had kept enjoyed its Sabbaths. And all the days that lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Hi guys, Blaine Hooper here. I am a church planting resident at the bridge. My wife and I are currently planting Christ Our Refuge Church in Sharpstown uh, in Southwest Houston. And um, our heart is to see uh, refugees come to know and love and follow Jesus Christ in our lifetime. And people, as you know, have come to Houston from all over the world. And so we have an unparalleled opportunity here uh, to preach Christ among the nations. And that, that is our heart. And we live in Sharpstown. We want you guys to come see us uh, whenever you want. All right. Uh, it's also the best food in town, hands down. This month, we have been in a series called Rediscovering Lament, conversations with God that, that bring us from hurt to hope. And as you guys know, it has been a very, very hard season in so many ways uh, for the world and for our country. And there's so much... Um, tumultuousness just happening, uh, just seems to be waves washing over uh, this earth of ours. And so we need to know how to come to God uh, in times of loss and grief and suffering and pain and uncertainty. And the Bible, the Bible is not silent about these things. The Bible speaks over and over again how we can take our cares to God because he cares for us. In the first week we talked about Genesis, what was and what should have been and what is now in the distance, the lament there, the hope in Christ. In the second week, we talked about Job 1 and 2, a man who lost everything but still clung to his faith in the sovereign God and worshipped in grief, in lament. Uh, and, and that was incredible, too. I, I've been learning so much as, as we've been going through this together. 
And this week, we're going to be in the book of Lamentations, the book of Lamentations. Uh, it's right after the book of Jeremiah. Please start to turn there with me. I'm going to start praying now. Jesus, uh, help us, God. Help us in our unbelief. Father, we pray that the Spirit would give, um, I pray the Spirit would give me utterance to, to your will, uh, to, to your comfort and peace for your people in times of hardship, no matter what people are going through. God, give uh, give us all the grace that we need, both to understand lamentations and to apply it to our lives in a way that shows the gospel to our neighbors who need hope. God, our hope is in you. Uh, surely you will not let us be put to shame. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So guys, in 1945, in February, a, a massive Soviet army, this is in World War II, approached the capital um, of the Nazi Empire at the time, Berlin. And the Russians were really, really mad uh, because Germany had started a war. They, they had butchered millions of people. They really were a, a wicked army in and of themselves. And, and so as they surrounded this and besieged the city of Berlin, uh, we know the Germans lost, but they they were brutal. Uh, the Soviets, it was payback time. They, they, they uh, shelled with artillery the city for, for weeks on end. They didn't care about civilians or non-civilians. Whenever there was resistance, it was, it was crushed brutally. And uh, in the aftermath, uh, anyone who, any, any German really who, who surrendered was, was either killed on the spot, was not shown quarter, or was, or was uh, basically sent to a prison camp to live out the rest of their lives um, starving. And many of them didn't live very long after that. And it was also one of uh, the, the worst things that would happen uh, to the city of Berlin in its entire history in terms of the, the population of, of women. It was terrible. And just to, to tell you guys, this is not exactly a kid-friendly sermon, but we are preaching from the Word of God. Um, but, but there was, in 1945, the Soviet army, a mass rape of all women of all ages. And the population that lived, um, somehow miraculously, many of them starved for years on end um, in a city that the Soviets didn't quite share everything with because they wanted to punish the city, its leadership, um, and everything that it stood for. And, and you guys might think, okay, well, we're talking about the Nazis. Like, that's okay. Like, we, Maybe we shouldn't feel bad about that, right? Because they're Nazis. They, they, they butcher people. They started World War II that killed dozens of millions of people, the, the most brutal war in human history. They got justice, right? Yeah, but, and I'd say, yeah, probably yes, but, but I'm not God, but what about, what about people who were not Nazis? They were just, you know, everyday German people kind of caught up with it. What, what about kids or, or really old people who who didn't contribute to the war effort at all. What about the Christians? There were faithful Christians in, in the country. Many of them actually uh, ended up being thrown in prison, but but many others you know, felt like um, if they're drafted, they should go because they'll be killed if they don't. So w what if you're this kind of righteous person working uh, in a factory in Berlin, or, or you're a kid who got 
drafted at 15 years old to serve in the army. Wouldn't that be harder and, and way more brutal in a lot of ways that knowing that this disaster was coming um, to your city and, and knowing judgment was coming and that your people may or may not have deserved it, at least the leadership did, the party that the people voted in power did, knowing that you had to live through it. And the best case for you, uh, if it, the best living case, is to spend the rest of your days in some sort of um, gulag or prison camp, forced labor camp. Uh, that would be, I mean, just incredibly brutal. And so maybe, like, you don't identify with that story, I guess, or, or these people of that generation. Um, but sometimes, uh, many times in history, the people of God have been judged along with the generation that they lived in. They, they, they If their country went to war, if their country experienced famine, if, if, if their country experienced plague, they were there uh, with them, experiencing those things with a generation under judgment. And, and so what if you're part of a generation like that where the pain and the suffering is not going away? And it's clear that it's not going away. Where, where is the hope in that? Well, the book of Lamentations, I mean, is almost that exact same scenario. In 586 BC, uh, as was just read from 2 Chronicles, we heard the history. The prophet Jeremiah, is he's a righteous man. He's a faithful man. He's been ministering on behalf of the Lord. He's been doing good and justice in his nation uh, for, for a long time. And he is forced to survive, to watch the destruction of his city. Uh, there was a nation of Judah, um, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, really, and had rebelled against God. And Jeremiah actually had been warning them, turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. There's 52 chapters of that kind of language and other prophets in, in the book of Jeremiah. But the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, would not turn back from worshiping other gods. They would not turn back um, from oppressing the poor, the innocent, from enslaving um, their fellow uh, Israelites. They would not turn back from their wickedness. They were worshiping false idols and, and using the temple to worship false gods. And they were even at times sacrificing their own children to false gods. And, and so finally God says, enough. Enough is enough is enough. And so God sends Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, an empire from the east, in modern-day Iraq. And he sends his really uh, cruel and very, very strong undefeated army. And he, he sends it to crush Jerusalem, to, to absolutely crush Jerusalem. And guys, if that sounds brutal to you, it absolutely is, that justice. But listen, God had been warning Israel of judgment for around 860 years. <laughs> 860 years, the people of God were warned not to chase idolatry and not to chase the way of the world, uh, to be the people who showed the light of God to the whole world. But they didn't. Instead of Jerusalem being a city of light and worship and presence with God, it was one devoted to 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 evil to uh, perversity uh, to to all sorts of wickedness and um jeremiah 
is in the midst of that. He is sitting in the ashes. When we find him in lamentation, he is mourning the the death of his city, the, the death of his people, the suffering. And lamentations is his lament, is his grief over Jerusalem. So let's jump into uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1. And I, I'm going to read about the desolation of lamentation, the categorical judgment. Verse 1 says, How lonely sits the people that the city that was full of people how like a widow she has become she who was great among the nations she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers she has none to com- comfort her all her friends have dealt treacherously with her they have become her enemies judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard service She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. But her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. And verse 8 and 9 says this, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Jerusalem is is pictured as a woman, um, as an immoral woman, a, a prostitute who has left her husband, God. The people of God are, are called um, the bride of Yahweh. And in the New Testament, we know the bride of Christ. And so this is what judgment looks like um, for the people of Israel. Um, nakedness or shame is heaped upon upon Israel, upon Judah and Jerusalem and its people and what judgment looks like. Uh, Jeremiah doesn't hold any punches and lamentations. We find out that there is starvation in the siege of Jerusalem as, as Babylon surrounds it. And people are so hungry that, that it's grotesque, but mothers eat their own children. Mass starvation. And then when they breach the walls, there is mass uh, killing and murdering of anyone who is not valuable, and there is deportation. The young and strong are carried away um, to live the rest of their lives in exile, and there is mass rape. That is also, you know, uh, he, Jeremiah talks about how Israel is ravaged. I, that is literally the word. And the worst yet, the the, the temple, the place where God dwelt with His people, where where, where Israel and, and the nations actually would come to experience the presence of God. The, the temple itself was destroyed. It, it was it was pulled down. It, it's as as we read it, the sacred kind of vestments and and uh, pots and pans that were used for the worship of God to an immediate God's blessing to His people and to offer forgiveness. That that was destroyed. It was gone. Um, the people. Our experience, the heart of lament, the the uh, judgment, really, that they are far from God's presence, and it's terrible. 
it's truly terrible. It's something to lament. And I think here we have to pause and just think about um, the charge that God makes against his people, the, the, the sin of infidelity that is breaking faith, breaking the covenant. And, and breaking the covenant between two people, right, is, is, is one of the worst and most painful and most brutal sins that exist. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, adultery, uh, cheating on one's spouse was, was punishable by death, by both um, kind of unfaithful uh, partners in that. And nothing hurts God or people otherwise, because we're made in his image, as much as that kind of unfaithfulness, right? Uh, the number one cause of murder in the world is infidelity, one partner against another. And it hurts so much because it is a fundamental rejection of the relationship. It is a fundamental rejection of the worth of the other person. Um, it, 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 and it carries consequences. Guys, we are in relationship with God. If you know Jesus, um, sin carries deep, deep consequences. If unfidelity against people carries the worst kind of life-breaking consequences, how much infidelity against the infinite, loving, wonderful God, I mean, that deserves really annihilation, being just wiped off the map forever. And because we're telling God when we sin in any way, in thought, in word, or in deed, we're telling the infinite God, I know better than you. I don't trust that your word is true. I don't, I don't trust the one who made the heavens and the earth uh, to decide what's best for my life. And so for us as Israel, there is a call, uh, this prophetic call to repent, to turn away from sin, to, to go towards Jesus Christ. Um, and... Sin is a fire. Sin will destroy your life. Um, you will bring yourself into judgment. And what's hard for Jeremiah in Lamentations, again, uh, for those of us um, who feel maybe the, the burden of, of being in, in a hard generation or, or, or suffering along with, uh, along with people who are in judgment, perhaps, um, Jeremiah feels that, that you know, as a righteous guy, it's just really hard to watch his city kind of burn. Uh, he laments that. And guys, I think there's, there's some really great applications for people who are very justice-minded, the kind of justice warriors, as we say, right? Uh, for those of us who, who, who care deeply about issues of mercy, that that even when his city comes under judgment for being unjust, for out of its idolatry, actually, that, that Jeremiah feels compassion, that, that feels love for the people who, who honestly were his enemies, who rejected the message of God that, that he stood for. And so Jeremiah really does feel afflicted. Turn with me to uh, chapter 3, if you have a Bible. Jeremiah chapter 3, just a couple of chapters more. Um, now... Jeremiah is, is talking about personal, and he's talking about what happened to the city in chapter 1. He's talked about what God has done in his specific acts of judgment in chapter 2. We don't have time to read it. In chapter 3, he gets to the kind of heart and hope of the message. But, but first, he has personal lament. He says 
In verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. And then moving to verse 14 through 21, he says, I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. I mean, he is crushed. And this suffering, what makes it worse for Jeremiah, it is that he is going to live out the rest of his days um, apart from the holy temple of God, that he loves to worship him, apart from a unified family, apart from a set of uh, great circumstances um, where there's blessing in the land. Uh, <clears throat> he and his whole generation, uh, older generation, are going to die in exile. And, and it's out of this suffering, right, this call to for God to remember the affliction of someone who's righteous uh, and, and to say, my endurance has perished and my hope has perished. It's out of this, at this exact moment, a light shines down on Jeremiah, a special grace. And in verse uh, 21 through 24, things change. He says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so Jeremiah's hope in literally the worst thing that could possibly happen. I mean, I think really he he would rather be dead uh, and with God. His hope in the worst of circumstances, is in the God who keeps his promise, right? That That is the essence of the idea behind the word translated steadfast love or maybe loving kindness in your Bible or unfailing love, all awesome translations. This is the Hebrew word chesed, uh, C-H-E-S-E-D. It's worth remembering. Uh, don't tattoo it on your arm. Tattoo it on your forehead if you're going to. It is so important that that God keeps his promise and and it's and it's such a beautiful concept it's parallel to that agape concept in the new testament a a love that is unconditional and sacrificial uh, to the point of hurting god keeps the faith he keeps his promises and and that that is the record of the old testament right that god has kept his promise to his people and in the new we learn he's kept his promise and his people in Jesus. You guys know that even the judgment upon Israel and upon Judah was God keeping his promise 
to the people of, of Israel when he made a covenant with, with Israel, with, on, with Moses on the Mount, on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Uh, God said, listen, if, if you disobey my commandments, you will be cursed in every way that you can be cursed. Your children will be led off into exile uh, and they will be carried away and your crops will fail and you will not have rain in the land and your livestock will die and your children will waste away if you don't keep this covenant. And so steadfast love, we don't think of the, the word love uh, in terms of discipline, but the Bible's really clear that the, the, the love, just as, as a parent who loves his children, uh, disciplines their children. She, uh, the, mom and dad discipline their kids if they love them to keep them um, from destroying themselves. We talked about that a little bit last week. So even the judgment, the exile, was a promise from God of a curse that would happen <laughs> To Israel in Deuteronomy 28, but the reason that that uh, Jeremiah has hope is because he also knows that Deuteronomy 30 promises restoration for the people of God. Deuteronomy 30 says, when you repent and you're living in a far-off land and you realize this really sucks, and you return to the Lord and you weep and lament and mourn your sin, I will restore you. I will bring your people back. I will give life and and I will be your God and you will be my people and that is the promise of God and that promise sustains Jeremiah in in the worst he, he is now living kind of in the meantime there are 70 years of captivity before Israel will return and so in the meantime Jeremiah will hope in the Lord um, his home will, will be hoping in the Lord and not in a set of economic circumstances, financial circumstances, um, or or a set of relationships, or even seeing his family reunited again. His hope is not in that, or, or sorrow or grief ending. That's not the source of hope. It's not the source of hope. I spent an extended stay in a hospital in 2010 uh, for uh, an injury that occurred to me uh, occurred when I was uh, overseas and I had this awful kind of burning pain in my legs and it wouldn't go away and and the doctors I couldn't sleep I was in anguish the doctors I mean, tried all sorts of different treatments and medications and mixes of medications and I just in a place of just raw kind of nine or ten out of ten suffering so much of the time and I uh, I had so much grief I couldn't even think or process. I, I didn't, and and also some some stuff had happened. I'd lost some friends. There, there was just so much. It was more than I could bear. And I was at the point of despair. One day, I don't know the date, um, sometime in December of 2010, I, and I was literally just crying out to God for help, for deliverance. Um, and at this moment, a chaplain came into the room and said, hey, can I pray with you? I said, well, okay, yeah, of course. And honestly, guys, I don't remember what he prayed other than that. He, he said something to the effect that God was with me. And a peace that I don't understand came upon me in suffering. And you know what? The pain didn't go away. I still had the pain. 
Um, God would take that pain away later. Praise God. But but at that moment of grief and suffering and loss and physical pain and, and sleeplessness, God gave me exactly what I needed. His mercies never come to an end. They are new or fresh every single morning. God will give you enough in your time of trial. He won't necessarily make it go away, but but he will give you what you need enough. And he will give you himself, which is the greatest gift. Verse 24 says, or 22 says, uh, excuse me, 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. What Jeremiah is saying is that he's not seeking the blessing of 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 daily food for itself or the portion portion that word portion in Hebrew could also be used of one's portion that you got from your parents as an inheritance because it was an agricultural economy and you you had to have land to sustain yourself and and your family so my question to you now is is what is your portion what sustains uh, your life what you know what 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 sustains your hope? Because if it's not the eternal, uh, loving, unchanging, faithful, covenant-keeping God, then you're not going to have peace now or later. Because because what we have, our stuff, is here today, gone tomorrow. I mean, a lot of you guys do oil and gas stuff. And, I mean, you could have lost your job six times, right? And Jeremiah here is pushing us uh, to trust and, and he can speak as a guy, honestly, from this is the real deal, right? This isn't just like trust in God because he gives you stuff. This is this is real. And so he's he's pushing us via different metaphors to trust in God. And in verse 25, he puts the exclamation point on it. He says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I hate waiting. I hated waiting for deliverance from God, right? It was very painful. You know, and we're probably the most impatient generation or generations in history. I mean, there was a quick cycle on our dishwasher. Think about that. Like, I just ate. I don't need a quick wash. Like, I'm not going to eat for another three hours, right? I don't, I'm, I'm not running a restaurant. I don't, I don't need a quick wash setting on my dishwasher. We are so impatient, and God knows that about us, right? Uh, but he wants us to wait because in the waiting, in this, in the waiting, we seek God. And in the seeking, we find him uh, with all of our heart. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, In this world, you will have troubles. Doesn't sugarcoat it. But he says, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Our life is so identified with a person of Jesus, uh, that we can that, that that we have His overcoming of the world, His overcoming of of death, and so Jeremiah's hope, as our hope, is in the God who keeps covenant. And the Bible says clearly that, that actually all of the promises of the Old Testament have their their yes or their amen or fulfillment in the person of Jesus, God with us. The hope is the presence of God as it was for Jeremiah. Jesus is God with us. Jesus said, 
I will be with you even to the end of the age. Guys, our hope is not in COVID getting better. Our hope is not in things going back to the new normal. And guys, uh, our hope is, is not in a fundamentally just America. Guys, yes, we, we hope for, we, we pray for, we work for, for those things. But we don't hope in those things. Because in all likelihood, we live like Jeremiah in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation that God has, has called us out of. And Jeremiah preached his tail off for decades, right? But in the end, that generation still, it, it still rejected the, the message of God, the people of God, the presence of God. And so our hope isn't in this kingdom. Our hope is in a kingdom that is centered around an infinitely good king, the person of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, his, his, a kingdom without injustice, a kingdom of perfect love and peace and joy and happiness, a kingdom that overcomes the sin and lament of the world. And, and my prayer is that you would latch on to that kingdom um, more than any other. Uh, and, and guys, I, I know that is really hard. But Jesus is enough. And I pray honestly the prayer of Matthew uh, 6.33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. You will be taken care of uh, by the sovereign God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, thank you that you are with us in our suffering, God. Thank you for the words that you that you moved or breathed into Jeremiah to write. Uh, thank you that your compassion never ceases, God. I, I repent that I don't always even remember all the ways that you have delivered me, the ways that you have been faithful to me and my family. And so, God, help us to trust in you uh, in the hurting, to make you, God, truly our portion, our life. And it's in Jesus' mighty name uh, we ask that the Spirit, you would empower us to do this work without fear. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.